Hey, Sam. Hey, Luke. What's, uh, what's wrong, buddy? I just watched the hit 2004 film Troy starring Brad Pitt and Eric Bana, but I don't know if it's accurate at all. Hey, we've all been there, friend. This has you pretty messed up, huh? Well, I have good news for you. Ah! Jesus! I'm a doctor. Of medicine? Even better, classics. And I have all the answers for your burning questions about myths, ancient Greco-Roman history, and the movies. Where can we get this incredible medicine? Over on the podcast, Greased Lightning. It's on all your favorite podcatchers. It will be the sweet ambrosia of the gods. New episodes every other Monday. Two words to me in three years of Bret Hart Welcome to Hanksy Panksy, a podcast where two dumb idiot best friends fill themselves mind, body, and soul with far too many minutes of a slick, pants-pissing, soft-dick Tom Hanks. I'm Sam Siegel, and I'm one of those dumb idiots. And I'm Luke Patrick. I'm your punchy assistant attorney general for this episode. And Luke, uh, we've got another special episode here today. Uh, With us in the virtual studio are the hosts of What Went Wrong, uh, Chris Winterbauer and Lizzie Bassett. Hi. <laughs> hey guys. Thanks for having us. The virtual studio is nice. Uh, <laughs> I gotta say, can't see Luke. Assume he's in a sex dungeon. And Sam, I'm looking at what through what I can only describe as a rear window style peephole <laughs> that is set up on his desk. So yeah. yeah, it took me at least 45 minutes of for for future reference. We have just recorded an episode of our own podcast with these lovely gentlemen um as well on the subject we're going to be talking about today it took me legitimately i would say 45 minutes into our recording to realize that you were actually moving and that this wasn't just a static image (laughs) (laughs) yeah she thought this was a very fun photo of you through weird fisheye binoculars that you took i did as far as we know it is yeah Um, well we'll no he scratched his face i saw it I mean, but is anyone who's listening ever really going to know? No. Yeah, only we will know. We'll take it to our guys. Well, I'm sorry for the conditions. Hopefully your complimentary uh, you know, beverage of choice was shipped on time. There should be a masseuse somewhere in the building to take Thank care you. of you guys. Um, yeah, we appreciate I, it. If that hasn't happened, I, I apologize for that, too. We are not firing on all cylinders here. And yet another hanksy-panksy after dark, <laughs> Sam. We said we'd never do it again. And you know what? We, we will continue to make this mistake. Um, so, uh, so Chris, uh, Lizzie, would, would you guys like to explain uh, what, what went wrong is? Sure, we can do that. So What Went Wrong is our podcast that dives into the misfires, disasters, curses, hauntings, whatever you might want to call it, um, behind both the behind the scenes of major movie bombs and also box office hits. Um, we've covered everything from what went wrong behind the scenes on Titanic to what went wrong behind the scenes on The Exorcist to Chris, what's a big bomb we did? Fantastic Four. Nah, our bar for the worst movie ever. Is it worse than Fantastic Four? Yes. So if you want to hear more about that type of content, and in particular, if you would like to hear more about what went wrong behind the scenes of the movie we're going to be talking about with these fine gentlemen today, head over to What Went Wrong, available on uh, iTunes, Spotify, 
I believe Amazon Music, which was a surprise to us. Thank you, Amazon Music. Um, and uh, anywhere else that you listen to Spotify. Nope. Podcasts. <laughs> Yeah, I can't confirm that Sam and I are, are, are both huge fans. I just came off of your Star Wars episode before starting this record. That one is fantastic. They're all they're all great. So thank you guys so much for, for being on here today. Oh, thank yeah. you. What a delight, except I am mad at you for making me watch this movie. Yeah, and, and on that note, uh, this week we did watch 1990s Bonfire the Vanities. And, uh, and ha- how was everyone's watch? Uh, so uh, mine was rough. Um, <clears throat> it was a Saturday night. I had spent the day reading about the book, reading the book about the movie and the making of the movie, The Devil's Candy. And as I'm reading the book, I'm realizing that this movie is going to be a real stinker. So it's just not the right aperitif that you want going into it. Um, You know, uh, it's been a busy week. haven't had a lot of time to spend with my wife. And so we spent (laughs) some of our only time together watching this movie, which was also a bummer. And we're going to have a lot of talks about it this week. Um... And about halfway through the movie, uh, she checked out. She was just on her phone for most of it. And then about two thirds of the way through, I actually went onto my phone to the point where I had to rewind because I realized I'd missed a couple of parts. Um, so my watch wasn't wasn't great. And I paid four dollars for it, too. Felt too high. Yeah, that's very funny. You should mention that um, my boyfriend, then the producer of our podcast, David, and I had a similar experience, except it was the opposite, where for some unknown reason, he was actually paying attention all the way throughout. And I, who I'm supposed to be able to talk about this, had blacked out, I would say, halfway through the movie and was just, (laughs) I think, staring at Rihanna's new underwear line on my phone. I don't know. I bought stuff, though. (laughs) I'm frankly jealous because I... Luke, I don't even know if you've done this. I have imposed a rule on myself that I can't touch my phone while we, oh. while we watch these fucking <laughs> movies. Yeah. And sit. and so I have to lock eyes with Tom every week, a real sort of battle. Yeah. Sam and I have set very specific rules, which is we're not allowed to know anything about the movie beforehand unless we've seen it. And if we have seen it, we have to do something strange. Uh, mm-hmm. And we are not allowed to, as Sam said, wow. remove the eye contact from Tom Hanks the entire time. So I believe you and I both, Sam, gave this movie the full two hours and six minutes. Guys, that is hard. I've, I've, I feel like this movie was screaming at the audience to look away. Like, I feel like that's what the movie was saying. Like, don't look at me. And so I really feel like, uh, I just had to look at something else, uh, at a certain point. It was, you know, it, it was daring you to look away and, uh, and I didn't, I didn't blink. Yeah. Speaking of Sam, how was, how was your experience? Uh, pretty shitty, honestly. Um, I dealt with some weird tech issues. Uh, the Microsoft Store was not operating at a hundred percent this morning. Does it ever? Mm. Actually, it's usually pretty fucking good. And and on that note, Chris, you actually got fucking hosed because I only paid two ninety nine for this. Are you? Shit was it in standard definition? <laughs> it was HD, baby. Oh, Amazon just J- Jeff Bezos took that extra dollar, licked it. Yeah. And like rubbed it across his body and it's frustrating. Although, (laughs) full disclosure, Lizzie does work for IMDb, which means she works for Amazon. I do. Uh, Also, you know, I may have recently pitched a project to Amazon that they haven't said yes or no to. So like, guys, you're great. (laughs) Don't worry. Well, this is a safe space for your opinions about Daddy B's post because it does sound like you gave Daddy B's post a single straight to the jockstrap on that one, my man. (laughs) I did. I did. He sent a drone to collect it in person. Um, So while I paid less, um, 
the movie stopped multiple times, which felt like a sign and also more of a challenge because I had to start the movie again four mm. times. Oh, oh no. Oh, my God. And Well, this sounds like an endorsement for Amazon Prime. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> start your movie once. <laughs> Do this mistake exactly one time. Uh, Sam, I will say I paused four times during this movie because, as I'm sure, I love Luke's patented three-act structure, and I don't want to jump the gun, but I kept pausing the movie trying to figure out where the hell in the story I was because I was so... There were no, like, real clear like act markers to me, like the the, the typical like crossing of the threshold, meeting of the goddess, like the midpoint reversal, the all is, I was just like, I'm very confused. Carmela, we paused it midway through and she was like, oh my God, there's another hour. She was so distressed that there was like another full hour of the movie left. Uh, and I, I so I, I started and stopped as well throughout my viewing experience. Of the turds that we have watched for our podcast, of which there have been many, this was not I was not the most bored by this. So I do have to give I do have to give it that credit. And in terms of whether or not it crossed our marker of was it worse than Fantastic 4? No, it was not. Nothing is. Um so until I find that. Oof. This hyper racist movie, according to Lizzie, was not as bad as Fantastic 4. <laughs> no. It's still not cuz I was less bored. I I wanted to jump out a third story window less from this. I mean, maybe for moral reasons, but at least at least my eyeballs were interested in some you parts heard of it. it. Here, uh first folks, uh racism <laughs> is preferable to Fantastic 4. No. Uh yeah, I I had a similar experience Chris because uh when my wife woke up this morning because I wake up at the crack of dawn to watch these things, she kind of sauntered into the into the living room. And I paused the movie and saw 40 minutes were left mm -hmm. and I had to stop myself from crying. It's so, <laughs> it's so hard. And even, and then, you know, what's shocking though, you feel that, but then you pause it with like five minutes left and you're like, how are they going to wrap this up in five minutes? <laughs> and so somehow exactly. the movie's simultaneously way too long yet oh, becomes yeah. too short at the end. Mm -hmm. I don't know how they pulled that off. Yeah. Luke, how, how was your watch? God, I hope it was good. Yeah, in comparison, compared to you guys, y'all have like pre-salted the wound here. It's like y'all just took a big old bath and some kosher salt before diving into the the bed of razors. I it was pretty easy. Like, granted, the movie is a difficult and painful watch, but overall pretty standard. The only real hiccup was that my wife came in at exactly the weirdest scene in this movie, which is a random lady talking to Bruce Willis, uh, flinging off her underwear, and then photocopying her cooch many multiple times so many copies a lady yeah, who I'm... is having an affair with the director uh, of the film mm. just you know nobody felt good about that i didn't feel good she, watching she didn't it. feel good about it de palma didn't feel good didn't about it the only person it. that felt yeah. good about it bruce willis felt great about uh, it exactly and that's because yeah. he's a nasty man Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> Including me and my wife doing a drive-by on this film and seeing seeing that. The only, I will think, I do think I have the ultimate, like, wife walking in at the wrong time while watching a movie for a podcast because I was watching Showgirls <laughs> and it was the scene where they're having sex in the pool and it's Kyle MacLachlan and Christy uh, Berkeley, Berkeley, Elizabeth Berkeley, having sex in the pool and it looks like Elizabeth Berkeley mm -hmm. is drowning while Kyle McLaughlin is attempting to somewhat keep her afloat. And like that's the idea of what sex is. And Carmela comes in and she's just like, what in God's name are you watching right now? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I know that's, it well. That's the problem with these is that if it were a, a good 
scene. It's something you could both sit down and enjoy together, but it's just a woman photocopying her bush for... To be fair, we don't know that she had a bush. You don't see anything. She could have been, you know, she could have been like a baby <laughs> down there. Um, that's true. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. Thank you. Yeah. Pubist to photocopier. I yeah. will say that Tom Hanks, or sorry, Tom Hanks wasn't even in this, but just Tom Hanks being in a movie where a, a vagina is so prominently displayed, not visually, but at least contextually, uh, it made my skin crawl. And I think this movie has led me to the realization that I don't ever, ever want to think about Tom Hanks having sex. You mm. know, it has been a challenging journey for us to realize uh, Tom Hanks, America's dad, as a as a sexual creature. I won't. I won't do it. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm glad that you've been able to, to keep that from your mind because mine's been ruined. Yeah, we're, we're on a real journey here too, Sam, because we've turned the corner from what you described as a horrifying kiss and volunteers into 90s Tom Hanks, which includes a lot of rom-coms, some of which I'm very partial to. Yeah. Um, but to your point, Lizzie, the, the sexual aspect of this re-Tom is going to be challenging to consume into a... Uh, yeah, our consciousness. Challenging for Tom as well, I would say, based on the movie that I watched. I mean, like, you're talking about his rom-coms. Those are Tom in love. They're not Tom, yeah. like, having Melanie Griffith fondle him and talk about how soft his D is. Like, this is <laughs> this is just not stuff I needed to hear. No, Tom Very Hanks true. is a turn the lights off, pull the covers over kind of guy. As he should be. That's, like, that's what he is. That's, yeah. he's, he's America's dad. Yeah. I mean, he fucked a mermaid on top no. of a refrigerator. Though. We should never forget <laughs> I don't this. believe that. Allegedly. <laughs> we did allegedly. That that was actually allegedly. that was the original nuking the fridge and then they had to update it <laughs> with the uh, Steven Spielberg uh, Indiana Jones reference there. Yeah. Uh yeah, Tom Hanks, sexual man. And on that note, Luke, would you like to break down the plot? Yeah, sure thing. So I missed this in our recap uh, on y'all's podcast, so I will do it right this time. God damn it. This is a frame narrative beginning with Bruce Willie, uh, who's in this movie ostensibly, as a writer. So Bruce Willis has written a book. At the beginning uh, of the movie, we have a frame where we see Bruce Willie entering some kind of event like a rock star. He's written a big book. And at the end of the movie, we'll return to this. And then the inner in between bits is the actual chunk of the movie itself. And that's the contents of the book ostensibly and how it came to be. So first act, uh, we are introduced to this very waspy character intended to be waspy character, which is Tom Hanks, whose name I have immediately forgotten. Sherman Sherman McCoy. Sherman Sherman McCoy. McCoy. Thank you guys. Um, yeah, so Sherman McCoy, very waspy uh, bonds trader, options trader, who's making a shitload of money. Uh, it's the 80s. It's a think of Wolf of Wall Street type exposition at the beginning here. We're getting a feel for for who he is. Um, he's having an affair. He's, he's got a wife who's a debutante socialite type uh, character. Um, hey, didn't they have a kid? They had a kid. They and do. that kid is Kirsten Dunst. Yeah. Is okay, it? I want to dig into yes, that more. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's Kirsten Dunst, and you can tell because of her her uh, messed up teeth, which I love. Um, also, one of our greatest child actors, I would say, based on Interview with the Vampire. Yeah, I so want to talk about that more. Uh, t- so I'll blast through the rest of this, which is Act One. Uh, they're involved. Uh, he and his mistress are involved in an accident in the Bronx where she is driving and she hits a man ostensibly because they're being robbed and trying to get away but does she hit him we never see it you, you hear true. it they we never like, really see it 
weird coverage in that scene is all I'll say. <laughs> but Luke's, I'm sorry, continue. I didn't. No, no, and uh, you know, we'll we'll dig into more of that as far as what they have changed uh, for this movie. That makes a lot of sense in that context. But um, they're involved in this accident. They don't go to the cops, and then from there. A, a chain of events is set into motion where in act two, the uh, attorney general is looking to bag exactly this kind of person. So a rich white wasp character uh, that they want to bag for any of this kind of crime to make him appeal uh, to, to other folks in his, in his constituency. And so they're after him. Uh, the African-American community is obviously up in arms because this man is in the hospital in a coma because he got hit by a Mercedes. Um, Tom is trying to hide these details. He and his mistress both. Things escalate to the point where Tom is arrested. There's a huge trial that happens, and it's a whole circus. It's like a real then, old-timey <laughs> trial. Yeah. Which is fascinating because I'm pretty sure that's not how trials work. Um, My dad's a lawyer. Yeah, no, that's not at yeah. all. Um, and from what I know of judges, any amount of noise or anything that they don't want to happen is not going to happen in a courtroom. Yeah, to clarify, what Luke is talking about right now is the fact that Tom Hanks, in order to save himself, by the way, I'm very confused about the moral of this because it ends up becoming that in order to, to tell the truth, Tom Hanks must lie. Got a little confused on that yeah. uh, front. But anyway, he, he lies and says that a tape is something he recorded in order to be able to play completely inadmissibly uh, in the courtroom. Like, literally, he's the defendant and he holds the tape recorder up to the microphone of Melanie Griffith's character. Yeah, he's like John Cusack boombox style doing it to, like, the courtroom <laughs> at the yes. end of the movie. And they let him play the whole thing of Melanie Griffith being like, well, I was the one driving <laughs> the car. And everybody's like, yeah. <gasps> In the courtroom. Exactly. It's the most, it's like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. <laughs> exactly. And that's the end of our of our act three. We, you know, he gets off scot-free. Morgan Freeman delivers a giant soliloquy about justice uh, in the face of a lot of things that I did not feel were terribly just. No. <laughs> satisfying. Which, which was cut down by 50%. So his original speech was twice as long. Just yeah. for reference. Holy shit. Well, maybe it made more sense because as is, he was just saying like, be decent to each other. And it's like, I'm sorry. This, these white people did run over this person <laughs> and you're all still ragging on all the black people yeah. who are like, just like decency. Yeah, this was a movie well, that wasn't good at the time, but definitely does not translate to our current climate. Oh, my God. In any no. sense. No, apparently when Tom Wolfe learned that they had recast Judge Kavitsky as a black man, his concern was that it was going to do what all Hollywood films do, which is a mythical Negro character comes in in the third act and exonerates all the white characters for any guilt that they might feel for their actions. And I actually would say Tom Wolfe was on the money with his yep. prediction yeah. as to how poorly that would play. Yeah. Well, that's that's our plot. So we're already doing it. Guys, what do you think? <laughs> Starting with our guests, how is this movie? What Was this a premium swallow or was it a little bit more challenging? <laughs> Ew. Um, I would say one of one of the more racist films I have seen in recent years um like that i was not expecting that maybe because i'm not super familiar with the source material but i didn't understand it as being as racially charged as it it is and Mm -hmm. i again i have not read tom wolf's bonfire of the vanity so i don't actually know what did or didn't translate from book to movie but in the movie it is like a cartoon and I would say it is not a fair cartoon. Like, not everyone is blown out of proportion. 100% the, the black mm. community in this movie is absolutely, I think, portrayed as the villains um, in, in a way that was, like, 
pretty shocking to watch. Like, I, I kept watching it and being like, is the point of this movie that black people are going to either A, rob you, B, uh, be a sex worker and sleep with you for money, or C, you know, try to try to milk a situation to get more money? Like, the mother tries to get more money when her son is in a coma. That's, it was horrible. Also changed also changed from the book in the book the mom was not an opportunist that was nuts that was i was like what am i looking at because i think something that we talked about a bit on ours that we may talk about here is is like the the white male characters in particular the waspy ones so not even not even the people they call out explicitly as jews um are are the only ones that have any redeeming qualities yeah i and for me the, the weird thing too is like this movie existed in such a no man's land culturally for America. Like, what a bereft year 1990 was. Like, just didn't have the garish fun of the 80s. Didn't have, like, the techno punk stuff of the later 90s. Like, this just was a wasteland period where we didn't know what we wanted. And so I feel like this mm-hmm. was a movie about the 80s that didn't quite feel like it was in the 80s. It just, like, it feels yeah. so dated in a way that, like, yeah. just flash forward three years to Jurassic Park, and you're like, oh, we're golden. This movie yeah. is so of a specific time and place, and then does, like, a cartoon version of that time and place, just doesn't hold up. Yeah. Flash forward a couple years, and uh, we're not only golden, we're gold bloom. We are yeah, indeed. exactly. Um, honestly, yeah. what I was thinking about with this movie is it feels like it's trying to do unsuccessfully what American Psycho does so well, and I wonder what it was that worked maybe mm-hmm. because that content was already it's because they allowed the character to be unlikable and so like so the big thing was when they made this movie brian de palma when he pitched it he was like oh it's dr strange love that's what that's the tone that we're going to go for well holy the, shit yeah well the reason <laughs> dr strange love works is like every character is just awful in dr strange love and that's why it's so funny at the end of the movie when they're like yeah. justifying nuclear holocaust because then there will be like a seven to one ratio of women to men in like yeah. the bunkers underneath <laughs> and it's hilarious in this movie though the studio was convinced that the lead characters had to be likable and they pushed it so far that the movie just ends up super confused we kind of like tom hanks in it like he kind of sucks but he's kind of fine and the same goes with bruce willis and then everybody else is just terrible so instead of it being like a jonathan franzen thing where everybody's kind of equally unlikable and so we can kind of get into the world it it feels completely imbalanced and i think that was the big struggle when they made this movie and why they probably shouldn't have tried to make it then i i like the strange love comparison because i like the idea that (laughs) tom hanks character in this movie like the colonel in Strange mm-hmm. Love is also struggling to ejaculate, <laughs> and that's a subtext to this movie that we never get to explore. It's similar fluoride, you know, poison-based <laughs> concerns. I think that Tom Hanks is dealing with. Yeah. Uh, well, Sam, hey Sam, what did you think of this thing? Well, to give you an idea, uh, right after the movie was over, I yelled at the TV. Mm. I just let out a big old fuck you because god it's awful um and also when it hangs on that freeze frame of bruce willie for just a moment at the end for that little mm -hmm. extra added fuck you that's oh god it's so fucking wretched from from taint to tip Mm. um the camera work made me want to vomit the weird the weird sexuality um i just want to toss out a couple quotes yeah um like uh like melanie griffith uh, saying to Tom Hanks, "Don't you want some poontang?" <laughs> yes, <laughs> indeed. Uh, 
boy, that gets my motor running. Or the one that they played not once, not twice, but three times. You know I'm a sucker for a soft dick. Uh, I hated nothing <laughs> which, more than that which, like, moment. They could have started the tape after that line, and it Not still would have made sense. It's like, no, but they were like, this line is going to kill. We need to get it in as many also, times as Also, I'm sorry, but I've never heard a line that's more clearly written by a man in my entire life. Like, what, what are you trying to say there? Mm. What do you think women are interested in? Do you think we're interested in, like, watching it inflate? Because I got news for you. <laughs> no. It's this writer with ED, and he's like, "These women are he's gonna wrong. love it." <laughs> I think yeah. I think this is related to that subtext of Tom Hanks being unable to to complete, much like the guy in Strange Love. So this is her communicating to him that his condition is fine, and they will get through this together before they go to the bunker. You know what? That's a lovely reading. <laughs> well, and I mean, the reality of it is, the lady doesn't have any scales on her. How is he gonna get erect? <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, this is not his scene uh, you know he's a scaly and we've established this time and time again because well you know that's a conspiracy corner bit it, it, it's just some like buck wild shit like the, the racism is so fucking insane it's nuts um, like 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 we talked about uh, in uh, what went wrong like the, the scene in the Bronx is it's just a war zone full of pimps and criminals and sex workers and it's just fucking wretched and torched out cars on every corner like just multiple husks of vehicles that have been burned out and are just like lying on the road as if they've been like hit by a drone strike and it's just absolutely shocking and then the most cliched two young black men come like walking up behind them as they're like parked in this one area and they never establish if these guys are attempting to rob Tom no, Hanks or not. It's like they leave everyone's motivations entirely ambiguous. No, you don't know what's happening. Uh, Melanie Griffith driving a car is insane. She just looks mm-hmm. like a crazy person who doesn't know how to drive. <laughs> um, it's all like rear projection through the window. So it all looks really kind of janky also. It was just a very strange sequence. Well, and that, that whole scene was banking on you thinking that they were... Uh, creepy and and threatening simply because they were black yes and that's yeah. it yeah a hundred percent they did nothing threatening they were just like hey what's up do you want help moving this single tire out of the road <laughs> also that yeah. tom hanks and has been kicking with one foot for five minutes but when they get there he's just holding it it's like yeah this thing is heavier than a boulder until they get there uh but also mm-hmm. to your point in the book they do make a point that mccoy is racist like that's a point in the book and that's the whole point is supposed to be that he's this supposedly well-heeled guy but he's actually just a racist just like everyone he's supposed to be an asshole oh that is lost in translation oh yeah yeah i'd say they imply it really really hard (laughs) we see it's very very tell and not show Mm -hmm. read tom hanks's racism in this Mm -hmm. movie yeah and then there are like other bits like um i is it the the district attorney or the attorney general whatever the fuck it's like talking to the, the people who work in his office. It's uh, F. Murray Abraham, isn't it? And he's dropping the N-word, like, yeah. Yeah, so so he's talking to these people, and he says something about, um, like, black motherfuckers is the, is the quote, and then it cuts to, like, the people, and there's, of course, one black guy in the office mm-hmm. who, uh, uh, like, gives him this look like, no, it's fine. Uh, and then he apparently takes that as like, oh, I can say whatever. So then he immediately doubles down and just says the N-word. And then he's like, I'm no racist. 
And it's like, yeah. fuck you and die. Yeah. <laughs> also, he didn't even, he it was like, the joke was that he apologized for saying black motherfuckers and then dropped the N-word. Like, it was so, it was like so outlandish. Uh, right. It had joke structures. I don't know that it would have serviced as a joke uh, in form. Yeah. Apparently, uh, apparently F. Marie Abraham is actually like very easy to work with, but the DP took one look at F. Marie Abraham and he was like, why isn't this guy the judge? And the DP was actually like, right, with Vilma Sigmund, with a lot of the casting decisions in the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. And he was like very frustrated throughout the process of filming because he would see these characters and actors. And he'd be like, why have we miscast this entire movie? Like going well, through it. To, that's a good yeah. point. Like, I think it's worth calling out that this entire movie is miscast from Tom Hanks to every single other person in this. Like nobody is playing the part they should be playing they could have just put all the names into a hat and like shook it around and pulled them out with different casting and it would have been better than what this was and to your point i would have loved a version of this movie where tom is the southern bell sign me up uh, maybe morgan freeman uh, is the defendant yeah i mean just shuffle it up baby that sounds great does that mean luke that you want to hear tom hanks say Three times, I'm a sucker for a soft dick. With that Forrest Gump accent? You bet I do, Sam. (laughs) Yeah, kinda. More than Melanie Griffith. (laughs) True. You know, he'd at least figure out where to land that accent. Yeah. Yeah, Melanie Griffith famously, they looped all of her dialogue after the fact in this film. Uh, It shows. Holy shit, though. That still rocks my brainscape. Because, like, it's a lot. It was over 100 lines. It's it's all ADR, almost all of it. There are a couple exceptions, but yeah, they had to Holy loop. shit, that's like I mean, can you imagine? Well, I guess Tarantino played in that space, right? He would dub in lines to give it that sort of uh, yeah, yeah. He dubbed effect. yeah, dub a lot of lines. They've done it for a lot of films, but it was it was particularly bad in this one. Yeah, to do it here where it's not, it's apropos of nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just a random part of this trash heap of a movie. Yeah. It was, and then they they dubbed Bruce Willis's lines, but they had to do it twice because the first time they did it in Italy, the equipment was so bad that the recording turned out like shit. So they had to get him to do the voiceover to the movie two times uh, in post, and they just didn't, and they didn't even like it. And it was just like so frustrating for De Palma to have to sit there, and Bruce Willis is like, "Yeah, yeah I'm a writer," and it's just like, "Oh God, <laughs> no, you're not." To your point, Lizzie, about the the terrible casting in this movie, do you think it would have been better since uh, Bruce Willis is supposed to be a anemic English writer fellow? Do you think it would have been better if he'd done an English accent for this movie? It would have been funnier. <laughs> I don't know if it would have mm. been better. Um, yeah. I don't know that Bruce Willis can do accents. I could be wrong. Also, I... No, he can't. I know Absolutely we not. ragged on Bruce Willis a lot before, and I am sure that we will again. I will say, let us not forget that Bruce Willis is in fact a good actor regardless of how difficult he is to work on set i i would just like to call out that and call out the sixth sense which i do think is amazing but Mm. um he's very bad in this i yeah for sure yeah it 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 just didn't work and he can't that it would have been like a you know tom uh tom cruise and far and away or like uh you know what are the bad like oh my god kevin costner and robin hood prince of thieves like just like the worst <laughs> British accents, like that would have been happening here. Like, yeah, yeah, man, yeah, man. Like he just would have gone like Jamaican. Chris, you're forgetting you're forgetting the worst British accent of all time, which is Keanu Reeves mm. in Francis yes, Ford Coppola's uh, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Dracula. <laughs> that is that is probably the worst British accent in the history of the world, um, and it's so good. It's, <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> yeah, it's really great. Um, yeah, no, Bruce Willis not the right person for the part. No. 
Um, you know, they went to John Cleese. He said no. They went to Jack Nicholson. He said no. And Bruce Willis said, I'm ready. <laughs> Put me in, coach. I would love it if you did the rest of this episode <laughs> imitating Bruce Willis, Chris. I said, I think I told my wife sorry a thousand times, but she's never heard me say I love you. <laughs> like, it's like, no, it's the other way around. His lines from Die Hard are just my favorite lines ever. <laughs> He's so good. He's great in Die Hard. He's very fun when he's allowed to just be Bruce Willis, and this very much was not what was happening there, even though something that Chris revealed um, to to us is that, I guess, Chris, you can explain it a little bit, but that they actually like rewrote this character to be more like Bruce Willis because it was so difficult um, to get him to... I don't know, act like someone else. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. So, so De, yeah, De Palma brings in Bruce Willis, who the studio had kind of said, this needs to be Peter Fallow. And De Palma's like, okay, you know, he's going to bring an audience for the film. And so he starts rehearsing with Bruce Willis. And uh, Bruce Willis is very limited in his range. And Brian De Palma quickly realizes that. And he's like, okay, we got to rewrite this character around Bruce Willis. And actually what I didn't mention on our podcast is this, the day they go into rehearsals, the two top studio executives from Warner Brothers show up in New York because they want to go see the rehearsals with Bruce Willis because they're so excited about their star. And Brian De Palma thinks he's so bad that he actually locks the, the the executives out of the room and doesn't let them come into rehearsals. And they'd never been denied access to a rehearsal by a director before. And it caused like this big kerfuffle and he had to like go apologize later and whatnot. But uh, yeah, then he and the writer had to kind of hold themselves up and be like, okay, how are we going to rewrite this character you know, to fit? the Bruce Willie vibe, you know, that, that kind of narrow range. Um, so man, how much more amazing would that story be if the end result was Bruce Willie going, all right, governor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my God. So good. I would so much rather have watched that. That's true. Uh, yeah, it would have been, it yeah. would have been fun. It would have been awesome. I, I would have been totally down. Like, just go for it. Go big. Why not? It's just, this movie's already bonkers enough. You know, like they just do totally outlandish stuff. Like, yeah. why not just go for that? Oh, I wish. You know, it was a soft dick of a movie. Yes. <laughs> it's true. It was like very poorly structured, lacked uh, the right firmness and pace that you would want for a film mm-hmm. like this. Part of the reason for that is that Brian De Palma famously hates shooting coverage. And so he loves shooting these like roaming master shots that... um allow the performers to move like it's a stage play and it tells the story through the camera work and not just through like shot reverse shot so for example the extended steady cam sequence that opens the movie with bruce willis like coming in shit-faced on a goat cart to like get to his book release you know that was de palma's like big tour de force moment with this steady cam operator that he had it was going to be longer than the good fellows good fellows wanter um but as a result like they couldn't cut a lot of scenes down as much as like a more traditionally shot film when they were in post-production. There were a lot of scenes where it was like, okay, well, we can't really cut out of this master shot, you know, of this scene, even though it's an uncomfortable silence or like this joke isn't landing because we didn't shoot the exact coverage, you know what I mean, that would allow you to do mm-hmm. that. Because De Palma hated television he did, and he didn't want it to look like television. Mm-hmm. Um, so he would do this almost as like an insurance policy to make sure that he could control what was kept in the movie in post-production. George Bush-style mission accomplished on that one, then. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And that opening shot, first of all, uh, Rita Wilson. Yes. So great to see her. Happened to be on set, and they were like, you're doing it. Hey, and nice. you know, she did fine. Added $20 million to the budget that day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just to get Rita Wilson in, <laughs> yeah. as, as she should. And then there's there's the handful of salmon. 
that the woman in the elevator thinks is extremely sexy? She does. But then I'd like to point out that immediately after taking a fistful of salmon to his mouth, and also after accosting this young woman in the elevator, Bruce Willis gets <laughs> out of the elevator and, and meets his like PR lady, who he clearly works with, and immediately, with his salmon paw, goes to grab her butt, and she's upset not by the butt grab, yes. but by the salmon on her white skirt suit and that's when i knew that i hated this movie uh i would love if you would call this episode a fistful of salmon but just Mm. just throwing it out there Um, Uh, it's it's a contender because i love it that's what this movie was Uh, uh, yeah it's a it's a rough go for bruce in this movie um so the book if you guys want to read an amazing book uh julie solomon's the devil's candy the anatomy of a Hollywood fiasco. It covers the movie from conception to finish. She had unfettered access to the entire cast and crew, Brian De Palma. It's amazing. Famously, Brian De Palma actually praised her for the book after it came out. He thought it was extremely well-researched and written. He thought it was fair, even though it was a traumatizing experience in his life and it didn't portray the movie in a great light. He has like stood by it. In fact, everybody was fine with it except Bruce Willis, who <laughs> took it very, very, very personally that uh, he was portrayed in a specific way in the book. And uh, so, I don't know, like, whatever you want to say about him is fine, but uh, ultimately he just couldn't hold back from taking a shot at her after the fact, and I think that speaks to his maturity a little bit. Yeah. Old, old salmon paws couldn't take a little <laughs> criticism. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, I do have a quote from him I could read if you want that's, like, pretty, pretty dark. Hell yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, okay, so... Uh, here's an example excerpt from the article by Jeff Gordner that ran in Entertainment Weekly on May 19th, 1995. Mention the devil's candy and you will hear the first and only hint that Bruce Willis used to stutter as a child. Here's a girl, this little, he says, whoever this chick is who wrote the book. I got to do it in Bruce Willis voice. Here's mm-hmm. a girl, this little, he said, whoever this chick is who wrote the book. Julie Solomon. There you go. I wish her the best. What I had hoped for her was that she became so famous she had to start worrying about her life. And she had to start feeling that she was threatened. And then she had to sleep with a gun by the bed every night because she thought that she was so famous someone was going to attack her or do something to her. And then one night she finally realized the sick life she was living. She just put the gun in her mouth and blew her fucking brains out. A pause. Then, as uh, with the whipping boy, a moment of comic relief. I thought that a few years ago, Willis says... Now I wish her all the best. Oh, my God. Uh, so <laughs> Bruce Willis dropping some dark, <gasps> dark wishes on Julie Solomon, who wrote this book. Hey, Bruce, go <laughs> fuck yourself. Yeah, man, cocaine is a hell of a drug. I think that might be nature's cocaine, to be honest. I don't know that he needs anything to... Mm. <laughs> Uh, Solomon famously responded in a very professional manner. It was a situation where I reported as honestly and accurately accurately as I could. And if you read this book, she does a great job humanizing everyone, including Bruce Willis. Like she absolutely, she gives out, you know, lays out all the facts, but she's not attacking anyone in particular. Uh, She says, I certainly had no axe to grind with Bruce Willis, but I do think he should talk to somebody about having these kinds of violent reactions to people. So she did give him a little Mm -hmm. swipe on, you know, on the way out the door. You know what I'm thankful for, though? That you guys don't have a podcast about Bruce Willis. Yeah. (laughs) And we never will. Bruce Willis then couldn't help but responding back to her. And he said, basically, she decided to take a a big shit on a bunch of people she would never get to be in her own life. I can say this about her. She had the worst fucking breath of any organism I have ever encountered on the planet. You had to turn away when she talked to you. Julie Salomon and her ilk are parasites. 
Uh, mm. So really, Bruce Willis just went at it with this woman after the fact, and she didn't deserve it. She wrote a great book uh, that Brian De Palma stood by, and he was the director. So you know who didn't go after her? Tom Hanks. Yeah. You know, America's dad. He's got a big meaty member. Ugh. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> no, I do. I feel like we stepped away too far from Tom Hanks, you guys. And and we, I know this we isn't have called strayed from the path. It's not called willy nilly or whatever that podcast <laughs> would be. Um, if someone wants to do that one, please. We have dibs. Uh, the sister podcast, <laughs> willy nilly. We we've strayed away to the darkness to now see the light that is uh, Tom Hanks and his boyish smooth ass face um this was a slick tom yeah did you have any he was very slick do you have any favorite slick tom moments in this in this horrible horrible garbage heap of movie uh yeah i i did so tom specific moments yeah dog okay um well i did love just sort of the serial killer energy he was bringing to this Mm. um and then uh so in the movie when he when he goes to get his gun and he's talking to that guy who I guess represents his buildings like condo board. Oh, yeah. you mean the top hat horse carriage driver who works at his yes. building? <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly that man. Um, and he's telling this man that he's going to go get his gun uh, just basically throughout the conversation. He goes he- into his secret gun closet. Yeah, mm-hmm. we all have Retrieves one. the gun. I counted. There were six visible guns. Holy shit. Yeah. Okay. Um <laughs> And he's loading it, and then the top hat carriage man is alarmed and, and like, shocked by this. And it's like, motherfucker, he warned you about this. Yeah, he goes, this. is that a gun? And the whole time, Tom, the, the guy keeps talking to him, and Tom Hanks just keeps muttering, like, I'm getting my gun. Just, I'm getting my gun. We're getting the gun. And then, yeah, he's just shocked at the end of it. It doesn't make any sense. No, it oh, it's so fucking weird. And his, like, I think failure to interact sexually at all. Yeah. Mm. Yes. As discussed, we, we do. Uh, yeah, Lizzie, you, you had a great Barbie flavored reference for this. Yeah, I just said I don't I just I don't want to think about him having any kind of sexual encounters at all. Like, mm. I, I just want Tom Hanks to be a Ken doll. <laughs> What's funny, <laughs> though, is smooth. like I've watched Very Rita smooth. Wilson a, a lot on The Good Wife, which is excellent network television show if you haven't watched it. Rita Wilson, she's super sexy. Like she very has a sexy. very sexual vibe. Like, yeah. and, but she's still fun. And God, I hope Tom is giving her what she needs because uh, <laughs> I think he probably I, is. They've been I together just, a long time. Yeah, but you know, I just I didn't feel like he was delivering here, and I hope that's only because Rita keeps it for herself at home. Um, you know, because well, she's I will great. also say, like, Melanie Griffith's energy, while it was sexual, it was not particularly attractive. And I'm not, like... It was, like, sexual natal. You know, like, that early baby feel. Yeah, she's a sexy yeah. baby, which is something that is appalling, I would say, mm-hmm. um, on most counts. And clearly not something Tom Hanks enjoyed. Um, I, so, you know what? Bonus points to Tom Hanks. I was going to just throw out, like, a weird pitch for, like, a little game we could play, which is... What men would have been turned on by Melanie Griffith's sexy baby? I have a couple thoughts. And what women could have maybe turned Tom Hanks on in this scene uh, Mm. outside of Melanie Griffith? And I would just like to throw out Richard Gere definitely would have been turned on (laughs) by Melanie Griffith in this scene. (laughs) Like hard. He would you would have believed it. Every step of the way. You know what? I'm going to say Michael Douglas, too. Oh, Douglas would have just been all 
Oh, also, that would have been perfect because it's like a combo of his character from the game and, and like Disclosure in one movie. Wall Street. Oh, in Wall Street. Yeah. yeah. And Michael Douglas would have been great. You know, he was a total whore back in the day. Probably. Uh, I think I think Charlie Sheen is screaming in from oh, the left yeah. field here. And, yeah, uh, it might have been too intense. And can I can I pitch from across the pond? Who's that? Oh, it's Hugh Grant. Yeah. Oh, yes. He would have had a similarly like I shouldn't be doing this vibe, but it would have it would have it would he, he would have, have let it happen while he was undressing. Oh, I say, yeah. I say, oh goodness, it appears you've uh, you've slipped out a bit there. Oh, good God. I would say <laughs> as you let yeah do the thing. <laughs> Uh, I think Robert Redford also would have just been like, this is not too far from indecent proposal. I don't agree. Robert Redford has some like sort of Papa energy. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm with Sam on this one. And I also feel like Redford likes a smart lady. Have you seen Indecent Proposal? No. Is that with Demi Moore? Yeah. And Woody Harrelson. Wild film. If Tom Hanks had been in it, wow, would it be a doozy. Um, (laughs) Yeah. How How about ladies that would have gotten... Hanks to get Panksy in this one. <laughs> um, I would like to throw out. I think Daryl Hannah, like, well, got it going. Of course. And I think that she is like, if you look at her in Blade Runner, like, she's yeah. just got a lot of that energy that I think even a even a Puritan like Tom Hanks wouldn't have been able to resist. Oh, sure. You know, on the same page as someone that has that kind of energy you just can't turn your eyes away from, while it would have been horrifying, I'm going to say Kathleen Turner because... Oh, yeah. She is... Early Kathleen Turner? Yeah. Romancing the Stone? Romancing the Stone. Her and, and Michael Douglas? Body Heat, right? Isn't that... Oh, yeah. Body Heat is her and uh, Mr. Yeah, Hurt. she is... That movie she is She sounds wild. like she's smoked 500 cigarettes in the last hour, and she's still so hot. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Would Sharon Stone? Sharon Kathleen Stone, and maybe? Sharon, I feel like, would scare the crap out of Tom Hanks. Um, but, you know, they, it would have been interesting. Oh, uh, I would just like to pitch uh, Carrie Fisher. Yes! They've got a bit of history. Mm, and yeah. they did have some some chemistry in One Red Shoe. And she's also very funny. She's super funny. On top of oh, being yeah. very sexy. She's yeah. great. I think this is all uh, superfluous because... Tom is a family man and would only save that real energy Ah. for Rita Wilson. And so if we really want to get And his other family members. (laughs) (laughs) We got to get the family involved. He saves his energy. Chet Hayes, if he had been, uh, yeah. (laughs) No. no. (laughs) Chet. I think, wait, I think Chet was born during the production of... Bonfire of the Vanities? That would explain a lot. Bonfire of the Vanities. I, oh, yes, Rita Wilson was six months pregnant when she shot that opening tracking shot uh, That's with Bruce Willis. She doesn't look like it at all. I believe that was Chet Hayes, because isn't Chet Hayes about our age? Yes, he is about our age. He might be a little yeah, younger. Yeah, that's oh, Chet Hayes. Man. Chet Rita Wilson was pregnant with Chet Hayes during the filming of this movie. <gasps> that's why he sucks so much. He got that bonfire stank on Tom him. Hanks <laughs> missed the premiere of Bonfire <laughs> the Vanities because Chet Hayes was keeping him home. Ostensibly, that's why, but... I, yeah. I think he missed it for a lot of reasons. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> In actuality, he was like, I can already tell I don't really like this one that much. I just don't want to go to the uh yeah. premiere. So uh so did either of you have a have a favorite moment in this film? I do have a favorite moment. Also, I apologize. This is the dog. Give me one second. 
I do have a favorite moment. It's more of a fashion moment um, for the film, which is Tom Hanks's like out of the box uh, wispy highlights that he has going on in this. Only because they remind me of me trying to highlight my hair during quarantine. <laughs> um, it's just that like slightly orangey little kind of wave at the top. Um, that's that's clearly not natural. Loved it. That was Tom Hanks's attempt to look more waspy. He had considered getting a nose job. No. And they wisely talked him back from that ledge. So he got his teeth capped and he put some highlights in his hair. That's not a waspy this, uh, thing. I was going to mention this. This isn't the first time that we've seen him method act, uh, which you, you mentioned that he attempted to method act for this. He felt peer pressure to do it, which is really the worst kind of peer pressure mm-hmm. to uh, peer pressure to method act. Um, but he did, in fact, do the same thing for Punchline. Right. If you want to see that, he did go shop some jokes around the clubs. He tried doing some stand-up, including meeting a young Chris Rock. So I love that for the two times, maybe this is why he's never done it since, that every time he method acts, it is a absolute stinker that may or may not be helmed additionally by Sally Field. Yeah. Uh, I will say my favorite scene in the movie, we actually haven't talked about yet on either podcast. I'm curious what you guys think. I actually unabashedly loved the scene where Kim Cattrall shits on his job in front of his parents and his child. Oh yeah, that was good. Where she describes like the golden crumbs and he just sits there. I thought that was Tom Hanks' best acting. How emasculated he looks in that scene as he realizes like what he's dedicated his life to is utterly meaningless. And Kim Cattrall describes it so perfectly for a child. Because I I thought she was actually very good um, in that role. And Mm -hmm. she had kind of had a very checkered career until that point and was trying to be taken seriously as an actress, but kept getting cast in roles where she had to do nudity. So she'd been holding out for like a year and was concerned she was never going to work again when she got cast as uh, Lucy McCoy and then was famously told to lose 15 pounds for the role. What? She's so skinny. So that's why she looks so thin. So that's part of the Tom Wolfe like you know mythology that he's created is that all these socialite women are so thin they look they're called x-ray women because they want to be as thin as their own x-rays is like the that's what i literally said when we were watching it i couldn't believe what her her chest bones looked like i mean it was it was awful like she's she's a beautiful woman um and frankly she's someone who has gotten more attractive the older she's gotten which is interesting but like yeah she really looked looked rough in this and she also so they had when they cast her, they were going to have a bunch of extras that looked like that. But then with the Morgan Freeman getting recast last minute and all the schedule shifts, they had to shoot all of those interior ballroom scenes in Los Angeles on a soundstage. So they had to use extras from L.A. And they couldn't find enough women that hadn't had breast implants to put next to her. Hell yeah. So the costume designer was like, I have not seen this many boob jobs in my entire life. She was from New York. So all the women at the ball look like super busty and like tanned and like buff in the biceps. And then there's like Kim Cattrall who looks like, you know, Natalie Portman from Black Swan, like standing in the middle of the room. Uh, But I did, I just, that... I loved that scene where she's just like shitting on Tom Hanks in front of his own kid and his own parents. And I just, that to me was the moment like where Tom Hanks hit the right tone for the movie in that scene where he's just reacting. Uh, So that was my, my favorite. Yeah. It's, it's an excellent scene in, in your right. It, it's the only time where it, he feels right for that role. Yeah, exactly. Cause you're like, you can see the regret in his eyes and he's probably thinking about taking the part, but, um, you know, it was just a, it worked in that scene. Uh, Luke, do you, do you have a favorite moment? 
Yeah, I, I stated previously that I was very into, again, I've forgotten his name, but Donnie from Frasier. Saul Rubinek. Saul Rubinek. Uh, I thought he was fantastic. I'll specify this time. I actually really liked, I mean, it was awful, but it was very entertaining. The funeral scene where they're at this nice Jewish mausoleum. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Having the funeral. They kick it over to some of his favorites. Uh, this is the, the mistress's husband has died. He's some rich banker or something. Um, and then they proceed at the funeral to have Thomas trying to wiretap her. He's got a wire that he's wearing, and he's trying to get her to say that she was driving the car. They're just having this insane altercation, and then Donnie from Frasier uh, is just around while they're having this insane altercation at a funeral <laughs> while this guy is in the background like singing this dead guy's favorite Frank Sinatra songs. <laughs> um, and the rabbi's trying to move things along a little bit here. Like It's just it's an insane scene and i think his part in it was fantastic and it's such a nice little button to represent just the the over the topness that this movie is delivering you know there was a there was another uh fraser player in there oh who's that tom's lawyer was kenny oh nice i missed yeah. that and i thought he was pretty good too he was yeah, good that's kevin dunn kevin dunn right who played that mm, yep oh is that Ke- i don't Look, I don't know who anybody is except Tom. He's uh, yeah. He, yeah, he was um uh I just love him from Veep where he plays uh Oh yeah. Um Fuck. uh oh my god, what's his character's name? Uh Ben Shit. Cafferty uh yes. from Veep and he's got Wait. the worst mouth. I just love him. Wait. That's not Kenny. I I don't is I don't think that's Kenny. I think I've com- confused these two men. <laughs> You've confused a man, Sam. We're finding out right now. Apologies to anybody who's not familiar with Frasier to the degree that Sam and I am, because I believe that's our vector for most forms of media is how it relates to Frasier best. Kenny Daly yeah. is played by Tom McGowan. Mm. Oh, shit. Okay. Well, it looks like him. So <laughs> close <laughs> yes, enough. I spent looks, the whole movie. Looks similar. Not the same actor. Okay. Well, I did spend the whole movie thinking that was Kenny and it improved the movie for me. So, Well, then he did his job. Yeah. You know, I'll keep it that way. But if if nobody else has any other thoughts, I need I gotta go buy some bonds over at the Hanks Bank so that Tom Hanks can get some of those little crumbs. Let's head on over, bud. Chris, I understand you've got some fun little uh, production nuggets about Tom. Uh, indeed. Uh, so on the good news side, Tom Hanks uh, is apparently just an absolute delight to work with, and. Nice. He would consistently, he didn't hang out in his trailer. He would sit around like playing cards with the rest of the cast and crew. He loved working with the other actors. He was always professional, like hyper professional on set. Uh, Just really generous guy, seemed like a really nice guy. He was on the movie longer than anybody else besides Brian De Palma. He was in the first shot and then like the last shot of the movie. Uh, And that stood in stark contrast to Bruce Willis, who (laughs) didn't hang out with anyone, just spent his whole time in his room. Uh, had like an entourage that traveled with him and didn't really like hanging out with anybody else. And Melanie Griffith, who kind of seemed to sexually harass everybody that she was around uh, as she was going through the project. She kind of notoriously uh, spanked Brian De Palma a lot. And he kind of returned the favor. It was a very weird vibe between those two. Ooh, that's a bad energy. Yeah. And then the other thing I'd say is like, there was the reason this movie happened was largely because of Tom Hanks. So the producer, Peter Goober, who put the film together, he read the book Bonfire of the Vanities and he had the same reaction that Hollywood had had when the manuscript went around town a couple, you know, the year prior. 
And that was that these characters were too unlikable to make a movie around. But he thought if there was just an actor out there that was likable enough, maybe we could get this movie made. And Tom Hanks, who had just starred in Big and Splash, seemed to Goober like the most likable man on the planet. And so he approached Tom Hanks before approaching a writer or a director for the film and said, you're going to be Sherman McCoy at the uh, Governor's Ball following the 1989 Academy Awards. And Tom Hanks, desperate to get out of the kind of light, Com- com- weird comedy zone that he'd been in for you know the first 13 movies of his career thought it was like an amazing opportunity to be taken seriously as an actor for the first time in his career so he was the first one on the project that's a heavy accusation blaming tom hanks for the existence of this film but i love it yep without him peter goober didn't think of anyone else he was dead mm. set in fact the studio wanted tom cruise and Goober would just call them every single day saying the words Tom Hanks over and over again until they would just hang up the phone. <laughs> and then they finally just decided, well, fuck it. We'll just do it with Tom Hanks. Uh, and so, yeah, it was it was Tom Hanks's fault for existing. Still a, a heavy ac- accusation to, to lay at his feet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he also was kind of I think we mentioned this earlier, but Uma Thurman was a very close second for the role of Maria Rus- Ruskin, his uh uh, mistress in the film uh, to Melanie Griffith and Hanks was flustered by how sexual she was and as a result uh, he may have tanked his screen test with Uma Thurman to ensure that Melanie Griffith got the part uh, the 19 year old Thur- uh, Thurman just proved a bit too hot and heavy <laughs> for Mr. Hanks to have around uh, especially considering his wife was pregnant at the time so I also love Uma because she's tall as hell yes <laughs> when she took her shoes off she and Tom Hanks were the same height if he's lucky, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tom failing to perform sexually with, with women has been a uh, running theme. Sam, does that make you uh, oh, think of anything there? Uh, well, well, folks, uh, Chris, Lizzie, Luke, I'm, I'm going to need all of you to bug your lover's apartment and hide in your secret gun closet. It's time to come with me to Great. the Conspiracy Corner. We're here, man. There's a lot of guns in your, in your gun closet, Sam. Oh, I'm very concerned now. Hey, they're for protection. Mm. So again, I just need to establish that, that Sherman McCoy and Tom Hanks are the same scaly Mossad agent lizard man. Uh, and, and this movie gives and gives and gives. So <laughs> A lot of material is what you're saying. Oh, oh, there's so much. So there is the first bit that, um, that Tom Hanks never seemingly has sex with Melanie Griffith. And he that is, not. of course, because she... Uh, she does not have an ounce of scale on her body, and uh, and he just can't get his big meaty cock up for, uh, which apparently she's into, but uh, just can't do it. No scales, can't fuck her, won't. Mm. Why is he spending so much time with Melanie Griffith? I don't know, Sam. This puzzled me throughout the movie. They have kind of no uh, no chemistry. There's no reason, and then I got it. Her apartment was bugged by apparently a repairman of some sort and Tom had no connection to him and then later claimed that this illegal recording of her was his and and the claim in the movie was that that was a lie this is not true mm. this is Tom's recording because he paid the repairman to bug uh what is it Maria Ruskin's apartment because Maria Ruskin is a secret agent for the resurgent Fourth Reich that Tom Hanks has tried and tried to, uh, to, to, to cut down at every quarter throughout his career. 
You're laying it on thick today, my man. Oh, oh, this isn't even all of it. Uh, there's also the fact that earlier on in the movie, uh, Bruce Willis, our best friend and uh, total asshole, allegedly keeps keeps, <laughs> keeps saying that that uh, Tom Hanks, that Sherman McCoy is the master of the universe. He, he does. Calling him the master of the universe. Repeats it, and I was like, why? Why would he keep talking about this? But this is it. The lizard people are an intergalactic race of planet eaters. And so Tom Hanks, the lizard man that is Tom Hanks, uh, has come to our planet and wants to consume all our resources. And he, not knowing necessarily our ways, has decided that money is the resource we rely on the most. Mm, It makes sense. In this movie, he's trying to accrue millions upon millions upon millions of dollars so that he can drain this planet completely and then leave it with the other lizard folk you know i didn't realize i was coming on david ike's podcast but boy am i thrilled that that is where i wound up today (laughs) hey you know it's it's a weird place the conspiracy corner but you just gotta keep an open mind and you gotta understand that tom hanks is a lizard man who works for the Mossad. i get it here's my question were there any checkered floors in this are there some illuminati connections that we're ignoring i feel like the ballroom area may have had something uh that weird pyramid phone thing that they're talking into that's somehow his conference call phone i'm just saying i think i think they're yeah good christ lizzie i'm very scared for sam's mental health (laughs) right now because i believe you've just blown this thing wide open i'm so sorry you gotta get that naughty in there i thought i had enough red yarn but i was sorely mistaken (laughs) well i'm just there's a couple of other conspiratorial elements to this story that i fear you missed uh Mm. oh including for example the fact that the film was shot exclusively at merrill lynch Mm. which 18 years Mm. later declared bankruptcy and had to sell itself on top of that it also featured the concord supersonic transport Mm. plane which notoriously had multiple crashes and had to be shut down it did this movie serve as a harbinger for the doom to come of the excesses of the late 80s uh was bonfire the vanities the metaphorical mess that led to the literal bonfire of all of these vanities at the end Mm. of the day uh questions to be asked did we all burn our suspenders after this movie (laughs) a real question question. (laughs) i think you really uh you're really onto something there i think i do think tom had something to do with it funneling all this money to to the rest of his intergalactic uh lizard folk sure uh and you know i think he saw the concord as a threat uh we were traveling too fast too soon Mm. And, mm. and he couldn't he couldn't abide by that. Also, do yeah. you think maybe as a lizard person who is trying to continue to sort of keep his lizard scales on the DL to a certain degree, like did it behoove him to make a real stinker of a movie in this moment so that people could like look away as he shed some scales mm. or maybe grew a new tail and then came back for the next one? Yeah. Did yeah. Big get too did Big make him too big too soon? Mm. And he was like, you know what? We need a flop to get us through. I, you know, I think he needed to lower his profile a little, especially after the the issues with, you know, agents of of Israel being discovered spying on the United States, a real Mm -hmm. historical fact. And and also the fact that this movie was very sexually charged. And as we all know, when the lizard man that assumed the the persona of Tom Hanks skinned the, uh, the real living adult Josh Baskin, 
he screwed up on the on the sort of private zones and and he couldn't get that skin and so if tom hanks starts doing a lot of sex scenes that's true people are gonna see (laughs) his true form uh in that bathing suit area where we might find out that he does in fact look very much like a ken doll i hope so (laughs) (laughs) yeah he is uh he is the quintessential sexless leading man and Mm. as as i once read in an article tom hanks represents a quieter masculinity um, but perhaps that's just a more reptilian one, and we've been looking yeah, at it the wrong it way. Might be this entire typewriter-focused masculinity. Well, what a delightful conspiracy corner! <laughs> yeah, yeah, Sam. I feel like that was. We just keep finding more and more, uh, or rather, you do. And again, I am very concerned about you, and I'm afraid Lizzie has blown this completely open for you, and I'm gonna speed dial the hospital <laughs> right now uh, before you dig back in. The only other thing I want to note is that there were multiple references to Israel in this one. Oh, yeah. There, hey, there were. Mm-hmm. There is something about Tom Hanks in Israel mm. uh, that is almost uncanny. Inextricably linked. Yeah. Weirdly, not a lot of Grecian references, which uh, ostensibly that is the other citizenship that he does have. Yeah. I mean, he's not spying for them. So, you know, yeah. has Tom Hanks done be. any movies that have to do with Israel that are coming up on your guys's list? He did one very bad one that I do not <laughs> encourage you to watch that was set, shot and fully produced in Israel that uh, Sam, I believe you you skipped that one completely. Uh, yeah, there were not uh, there were no conspiracies to be found within that one. Not yeah. a one. Interesting. I know he did a hologram for the king, but that was in shot that in like the Arab Emirates or something like that. Yeah, he is a. Whew, it, just, it goes too deep. Uh, it makes you wonder. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The Pizzagate implications are particularly high. It's just uh, it's tough to process, guys. Um, I will say really quickly, if I if I may, on the so the Ringer just put out the Hollywood sex symbol leaderboard, analyzing mm. all of the sex scenes that Hollywood's leading men have been in mm-hmm. recently. Excellently done um, by Carrie Whitmer. Really impressive work. And I can tell you where Tom Hanks falls on the Hollywood sex symbol leaderboard. It's got to be the end. I need to know right now. Would All you, right. Well, hang on. Do we do we want to take a round and guess out of oh, the total? Sure. Who this, where so how, how many is the total? So I'm counting right now. Give me one moment. Apologize. 28 names on this list. 28. Where does he fall? Okay. And I will tell And uh, you can also guess who's number one. Mm. But oh. 28th name, and it is... Uh, Basically, the ratio of numbers of movies, movies with sex, and seconds of on-screen sex. He's got to be 28. Mm. So just to make sure I'm understanding right, this list would, the the theoretical first spot would be the person who has gone to Pound Town the most amount of minutes. Correct. Per film. Okay, yeah. Yes. Understood. Well, I don't know. Sam, what are you thinking? Okay, I think Tom is square in the middle, 14. Okay. Okay. And I think number one is Billy Bob Thornton. (laughs) <laughs> it's not real life sex this is movie sex <laughs> no no he does have he has a weird amount of sex in the movies yeah. that's true he, Sam's onto he something his, there he gets his whole package out I will say he's not considered a Hollywood leading man so he is not on this list oh, well, he's considered shit. more of a character actor uh, oh, damn it. can I throw out for, for being in the top five is Fassbender up there okay you're throwing out Fassbender uh, okay and then what's your ranking of Hanks? Oh, at 28. I think he's down at the absolute pits. All right, he's yeah. dead last, 28. I think I'm going to go for Hanks that it's slightly above Lizzie's guess, that it's like a 20, I'll take 24, Bob. 
24. Um, and my guess for number one, I'm coming out of the, the left field of this one. I think it's Ewan McGregor. Oh, that's a great guess. Yeah, he has a lot of. Very good guess. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Fassbender was not included on the list because he has actually not led enough movies just himself to qualify okay. uh, for this list, like tentpole kind of movies. Uh, so number one on this list, Keanu Reeves, oh. 50 mm-hmm. movies, 12 huh. sex scenes, and nearly 10 minutes of actual on-screen sex time across I've his I've seen none of them. When does he go to Pound Town? He has sex in Devil's Advocate. Yep, a lot with Charlie Theron. He has sex in, in Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, yep. In the second Matrix. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Oh, we get a lot of that. Yeah. Of, we multiple so he has a lot of extended one. scenes. Tom Hanks falls in at number 19 oh. out of 28. Mm. And... His only actual sex scene in a movie is in Hologram for the King. They don't count Bonfire of the Vanities because all we see is him feeling up Melanie Griffith. Yeah, none of those are actually And her feeling him up. They cut the sex scenes from the movie. So he only has 50 seconds of on-screen sex time. So despite doing all these rom-coms, he has no other sex scenes besides... Wait, who is dead last, Chris? On this list, it's Mahershala Ali who in now nine films of recent years uh, has not done a sex scene. The most ironic one, though, is Adam Driver, who despite doing Mm. so many sex scenes in Girls, has not done them on film yet. Mm. Interesting. Adam Driver, you withering oak, we gotta get you into some (laughs) nudie scenes. Uh, Robert Pattinson, strong number two, with only 22 movies to his name. Eight of them have had sex scenes for a total of 411 seconds, and then Mr. Jake Gyllenhaal in a close third. Mm, both great Let selections. Let me tell you, the sex scenes in Twilight are the most upsetting. <laughs> it's just, yeah, you don't, nobody needs that. It didn't need to happen. They don't. No. Uh, so Tom Hanks, certainly not one of Hollywood's leading sex symbols based on what we've seen. Uh, yeah. No. And join us for the next hour as we uh, reimagine Twilight. As if oh it my God. <laughs> Who would he play? Edward or Jacob or Bella? <laughs> All oh, three. Bella rendition would be amazing. <laughs> it's just it's a clump situation. We're just going to go with Tom Hanks in every role. That is a, that's what I need right there. Uh, moving forward here. Uh, Luke, you and I uh, must continue our terrible deed and, and next week we'll be watching A League of Their Own. Mm. And and Chris and Lizzie, have both of you seen this one? We have. Okay. Yes. Uh, well, then, unfortunately, I think you're out of the running for this. Luke, have you seen it? I, I might have, but it's been so long and I was a child. So let's say ostensibly no. Okay. Well, Luke, what do you think it is? Yeah. So my theory is that it's a pirate radio situation and that the league in question refers to a sea league so there is one league of Earth in which they have planted a pirate radio station and that uh, Tom Hanks is a wily chain-smoking drug addict uh, rock and roll radio star <laughs> who's uh, pirate radio broadcasting straight to the East Coast. I will be wrong, but uh, I feel like that'd be a pretty good movie. Well, you are wrong. That sounds very good. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking that A League of Their Own is a period piece where Tom Hanks is helping to start the League of Nations. Mm. And it's, it's just a, a straight-laced sort of political thriller. 
about the the start of of uh, the, the well known League of Nations. Boy, you guys are gonna love it. All those all those poor nations that couldn't play in the other leagues, so they had to start a <laughs> league of their own. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, how do we stack up, guys? As as uh, importance of the future, you both know it's ahead of us. Sam was dancing around it, and then he took a hard left. Just took a nosedive <laughs> off a cliff, yeah. It was like a warmer, warmer, you've died uh, sort of moment. Uh, who, who is, I think, Pirate Radio is kind of closer thematically. You know, mm. you were both I would argue. a tiny bit right and then very wrong. So I think you'll, you'll enjoy it. I feel like Tom Hanks is playing that exact character in relation to the movie he's in, though, in both instances. Mm. Nice. Yes. So huh. what you're saying is that we nailed it. You know who you guys clearly know. If there's ever a movie and you were told what the different characters are, I definitely think you would always be able to pick out the Tom Hanks character <laughs> in every movie. Like I could read you all of his synopses and I could be like, and there's these five characters, and as I go through them, you'd be like, that one's Hanks. Like no matter what. So I am impressed on that front. I mean, it's nice, nice to think we've acquired a skill from this. Yeah. And I'm I'm stealing that bit in the future. I love that idea of Here's your lineup. Which mm-hmm. one would Hanks feel best? Yeah, which is the Hanks. I think you guys have it in the bag. We, you know, I think you'll enjoy it. We enjoyed that film a lot. Um, nice. They're remaking it right now, and I'm skeptical mm. of the remake. But that's just because the first one holds a, a warm place in my heart. Um, nice. And then you guys are going to get, you're getting, you're coming up on the uh, the Hanks, the old Hanks back-to-back. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. His Academy two-timer, um, where he went, he did he did what's funny is if tom hanks was acting today he wouldn't have either of his academy awards because oh. there's no world where tom hanks plays a gay man and there's not like a you know mm. backlash where it's like what you know do we need another heterosexual man playing a gay man and there's no world where he goes full learning disability with forrest gump uh mm. i think i disagree i think forrest gump would still i you know forrest gump yeah. wouldn't win an oscar today though ah I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I guess Green that. Book won, so yeah, 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 fair. Yeah, yeah. This is this is all conjecture in the wind because I'm actually the only one on our podcast that has seen Forrest Gump. Or um, Philadelphia, I think, is the other one you're talking about. Frankly, I don't know. It is Philadelphia, yep, which is it great. Is. But I am looking forward to that, and I do I do agree with you, Lizzie. So we'll, we'll see. That's all future problems. Right now, we just need to get out of the shit that has been this movie. Yeah, I appreciate y'all pointing out the uh, the lights ahead. Playing yeah. at the lighthouse that is any movie, not this, potentially a good Tom Hanks movie. That's uh, very comforting. Oh, we need it. Mm-hmm. We're yep. Well, don't worry, because in 2004, you're going to hit what I call the uh, the Tom Hanks second half career dip uh, with a little, <laughs> a little hat trick we like to call the Lady Killers, the Terminal, and the Polar Express. So have fun with those three weeks back to back to back, because that is just nightmare fuel. Uh, enjoy. Uh, you know, and uh, and then you get the Da Vinci Code, and that'll be fun too. Wow, God, <laughs> yeah. there are a lot of stinkers in here. Uh, well, <laughs> well, thanks for having us uh, yeah. come and talk about yeah, this that, this yeah. one big stinker. <laughs> uh, thanks, thanks so much for for coming on. Uh, do do y'all have anything you wanna you wanna plug? Sure. Um, as we mentioned at the top, you can find us what went wrong podcast if you want more information on what went wrong behind the scenes in your favorite movies, including on Bonfire of the Vanities. And that's on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us at What Went Wrong Pod on Instagram. And feel free to DM us with uh, really whatever you want. We will read it. Nice. Yeah, we've gotten a, 
a lot of responses from Instagram where it's like, oh my God, you responded. No other podcast respond to me. And I'm like, way to make me seem desperate, you asshole. <laughs> and they'll be like, this is so nice. But then they, and then they feel like they can message us anytime. It's just an Yeah, it's really opens a can of worms. But Unhealthy relationship. But, you know, <laughs> hard to get is something I've never been, as my wife can attest to. Very openly available for our fans to come bother us. Uh, yeah, nice. check out what went wrong and keep listening to Hanksy Panksy because honestly, I just can't wait to see where this twisted tree that is Conspiracy Corner grows next. It is like <laughs> watching that like dead oak in the backyard just somehow push the concrete up and you're just like, <laughs> how's it doing it? Just keeps going and I love it. Uh, thanks so much for having us, you guys. We're big fans of what you're doing. Thanks, guys. Yeah, yeah thank you. Uh, thank you, everyone, for, for listening to another episode of Hanksy Panksy. Next week, we'll be back with A League of Their Own. <laughs>